podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. We are live. <laughs> That's a bit naughty, isn't it? It's a, a what a real, it's a moment in time. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, to be honest, for the loyal Arsenal opinion followers, um, they might be like, oh, I'm, I'm liking this little dynamic. Do you know what I mean? The, the They might the, even prefer it. Exactly, the diva-ish, you know, captain of the pod is away, he's back late, and he's been he's been dispelled, and the you know the the fan favourites are here and ready to shine. So we can we can do what we want. There we go. Let's rip it up. Um, let's uh, head straight into this uh, podcast. As I say, mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I Good evening and welcome to the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I, myself, I'm Johnny Cochran and it's a bit of a special podcast today because we are not, I mean, you'd, you'd, used, you'd be used to hearing the dulcet tones of Pedro right now, but no, I've come straight in, but I'm not alone for I have, uh, we're gang-handed today, I have the other person who's quite frankly the best in the business at podcasting right now, he's on such form. It's none other than the monster that is man like Matt Candela. How you doing, Matt? Oh, what an intro! Yeah, very good, very good. I mean, I feel like um, like a couple of kids whose parents gone out for gone out for the night, and we can do whatever we want. There's no one keeping us in check, uh, you know. So, uh, and on top of that, we're already drunk on a great Arsenal performance. So anything could happen. It, it it does feel like that. It does feel like that. Anything can happen. That's what we're looking for. Um, because quite frankly, we had a really, really positive result there, didn't we? Eh? We had a really positive result. And um, I mean, I'm just dying to talk about it. I'm sure, sure you are as well. So why don't we jump straight in, Matt Candela, to the hottest of takes? What are your hottest of takes from that massive, massive victory over West Ham United? Well, my hottest of takes is actually almost a broader piece, which is I remember, and maybe was it even two weeks ago when we were doing a podcast after the Everton game, and it felt like doom and gloom. I mean, we couldn't see the wood through the trees. And at one point, we said, "What is it going to take to come back from this?" And I think we we sort of agreed. Actually, it's really really simple. You just need to win your next two games, and the proof is in the pudding because football changes so quickly with one or two games. We put some couple of really great performances. Absolutely delighted for Martinelli today. I thought that was an Henri-esque, brilliant finish. And suddenly we're in fourth, we're in mid-December, the football's looking good. And uh, and yeah, I'm just like so optimistic right now. Um, and and our home form is just, I mean, we've got the best home form in the league now. Uh, and, and that's statistically correct. And that's not taking this year and dividing it by three and looking at it and taking out these teams <laughs> that Pete sometimes does. 
it's it's just we have got the best home form of anyone in the Premier League this season in terms of points, and that's an outstanding achievement. Yeah, I mean, so where do I start with it? There are a few that we'll dig in a little deeper throughout the podcast and, um, you know, start naming names, and rightfully so, because there were some standout performances, I felt. But what I said, and I have said for a number of weeks now, is that I'm not interested in odd games where we play well, particularly against teams that are in the lower half of the league. They are, you know, um, or, or should I say, are we... Were we turning into a flat track bully where we were beating up on smaller teams when anyone with any real teeth came into uh, either our stadium or, or certainly in terms of our away form, we shrunk. Um, we weren't often up to the task, bottle jobs at times. Um, that was what, you know, could have been labelled. And I wanted to see rather than get too high or too low, um, I wanted to see us do it against a direct rival. What I'd always said over recent times... Um, is that what if we wanted to take again to hammer home this point again um the Brentford game at the start of the season and we contextualize that loss and say that after a while it wasn't actually as bad as it may have initially seemed and then if we look at if we use the same logic then that Leicester victory away at Leicester wasn't necessarily as big as what it seemed because Leicester haven't just haven't been you know the team that we're necessarily going to be fighting with for the goals that we're hoping to achieve. However, West Ham United absolutely are. And not only that, but they have that giant killing gene in them. We we know what a big fixture this is, because ask Chelsea. You know what I mean? Ask Liverpool. They are a very, very hard team to get the better of. And the very least that you're going to get out of them, if they're not kind of firing on, on full cylinders in terms of their attacking out, output, they are always going to give you that intensity and match you on the pitch. That's kind of got what the David Moyes DNA is all about. And I thought that we matched them fully and actually went above and beyond that. I thought we set the tempo in throughout much of the game, um, embodied by a guy that we're going to get into much deeper, Martinelli, um, constantly hounding down things and completely matched their energy and their enthusiasm. And that allowed us to implement, um, I would say, a kind of style of football and an overall attacking cohesion that I have long lusted after. I wanted to see it against a bigger team, a more robust team. And it seems to me that is a big, big result there. Do not take it lightly. We're currently sitting fourth in the table right now. So, you know, if you want to appraise Arsenal, potentially Arteta, the fact of the matter are, as we speak right now, it seems like we are somewhat achieving the goals that we set out at the start of the season. And if you can show me a little bit more of the plan from an offensive point of view, I tell you what, that is what is going to get more of us Arsenal fans fully bought in if we aren't already, because that was a very, very good performance today. So, Matt, I mean, I do. I mean, there's so much to unpack here, but let's point a little bit quickly um, you know, with a bit of haste to a man who was playing with haste today. A lot of urgency and a lot of enthusiasm as we put a little bit of focus on the man, the myth, Martinelli, the monster. Okay, oh. can you just open up on your thoughts on his performance today? Well, look, um, we he came in a couple of years ago, blistering start under Unai Emery, and we all thought, what a player we've got in our hands. And then it's been sort of, a lot of fizzle, um, but not enough consistent fire over the last couple of years. It's to the point where, you know, 
we really wondered whether he was going to make it Arsenal just maybe even a month ago because he wasn't getting any look in. And I think that we've been stuttering so much up front and, 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 and the hope was that he was going to have a Smith Rowe-esque impact on the team in the back half of the season. And to be honest, it looked like we, that was the only way we were going to thrive as a team was for something like that to happen. But he has come in and, you know, and I think confidence is such an important word with this whole Arsenal team because it feels like when we're at our best, it's because we're full of confidence. And when we're struggling a bit, it's because of a lack of confidence. But I think the best thing that happened to Martinelli was that substitute appearance um, a few games back where the ball got lofted over his shoulder. He hit it 30 seconds after coming on and he hasn't looked back since then. And even amidst a couple of dodgy results at Old Trafford and stuff, he's still been probably our best player in a couple of those. But what we're seeing now is he looks like a player who's ready to step into a starting place on a consistent basis. He's still the same player in terms of that high impact, but he seems to just be a little bit calmer around his decision-making. And I think the goal was just such a great example of that because he was played in, but make no mistake, that was not an easy chance. And it was just Henri-esque, the way he bent that into the corner. And he was the difference maker. So, you know, it feels like, you know, a lot of the decision-making about keeping him out of the team and then bringing him in now was right. He feels like he's coming back a, a more evolved player. I love this comment. Um, you know, maybe we need to give Arteta credit. So, um, you know, it's we're going to need him because we've got all sorts of ma- problems around our strikers <laughs> that we'll probably get into. But... It was just so good to have a focal point uh, and 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 I'm just absolutely delighted for him. And now we've got to really ask, we don't want to put too much pressure on him, but we've got to say, can you score eight to 10 league goals in the back half of the season? Because I think that's a realistic expectation of him, eight to 10 league goals. And if we get that, then I think we've got a decent chance of getting fourth because he's he's the only striker we've got who can score goals, I think. Yeah, it, it, that's, a, that's an interesting... Um topic that you bring up there but um I think in terms of my appraisal of Martinelli I'll start with the fact that you know and and you've done a great job explaining the situation that we find ourselves in with Martinelli but what impressed me the most with him was his composure on the ball today um and I think that in recent times when he's come into the into the team in his brief appearances at times he's been almost overexcited like a little puppy dog desperately out there just chasing everything but when the ball actually comes into him it hadn't been sticking it um was a situation where even though um he was so keen to impress throughout his performance he was often not so much being able to get involved in the in the build-up play in the ways that we wanted to, and certainly didn't look like a kind of solution or an antidote to some of the issues that we found with Aubameyang. I also think that um, playing with Aubameyang uh, causes more issues for Martinelli, and that is because, obviously, Aubameyang just does not link up the play well. We will get onto this further in the pod as well. But Lacquer, for instance, offers much more of a solution in terms of that. And I think that Martinelli really benefited from that, not only for his goal, but the different parts of our attacking play today. It happened on a few occasions where Lacquer was threading him in and linking up well. But again, there was a moment that embodied Martinelli's new confidence. And it was a moment he took it, took the ball in around the halfway line, paused for a second, 
Rolled the ball between Declan Rice's legs, I believe. Nutmeg. See you later, mate. Go home. It's embarrassing what's just happened to you. Let's call a spade a spade. But the fact is, is Declan soldiered on, bless him. You know, he didn't want to be out there anymore. Martinelli's absolutely had him on toast. But it it spoke to the confidence with which Martinelli was playing with any now. And it wasn't just about, I'm going to run loads and impress you with my effort. It was... Actually, I've got the flair. I've got the I've got the belief in my ability, and not only that, but when he's getting towards the byline or attacking defenders in the area, he was confident in his ability to beat them. And his pace looks to have returned. He looks quick over those first couple of yards again. Really, really sharp. And what a beautiful finish that was for the goal. You know, we've seen so many people, haven't we? So many of our attacking options be in those positions and just fluff fluff their lines. That had that Henri esque vibe about it that curl into the bottom corner and you know this is what this is what I think Arsenal fans were so excited by when he first broke onto the scene and 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 I'll hold my hands up you know I I questioned not for a lack of potential talent but sometimes we see how injuries can break players down and they're just never quite the same again but for me it looks like he's now starting to return to that kind of form that really excited Arsenal fans in the first instance of him breaking through. And as we look for more of a holistic answer in, in, our, in our attacking um, kind of lineup, Martinelli has to be the strongest potential solution that we have in-house. If there is going to be a striking solution longer term in-house, it will be him. And it was a fantastic, fantastic performance against a good team, you know, who don't get banged up very often. I thought he really stood out as, you know, a man, the man of the match as far as I was concerned. And um, he really looks like he um, he could be that solution moving further forward. Do, do you think that 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 is the case for him? Yeah, I mean, it reminds me. It's, look, it's 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 probably everyone will laugh if I make this comparison, but it reminds me a bit of, of like Cristiano Ronaldo when he burst on. And you know, do you remember when he he did about fifteen stepovers in a row and. It was exciting to watch, you know, as a fan to watch it. But really, when a player really starts coming good is when they cut all that out of their game and they just develop that type of... And you love it. You love seeing it when they come on and do it and and all that. But it's when they just suddenly get a bit more presence and they just have that feeling that every time they can get the ball, they can make a difference. And the hardest thing, I think, for a young footballer is end product. Like, it's pretty... It's not easy, but it's easier to look good, uh, run around, look high impact, go charging into tackles. The hardest thing, assists, goals, you know, the numbers side of it. And I think he's already just beginning to top those up now. You know, the assists are coming, the goals are coming, and um, and we need it. And we've, got to, and, we, and we've got to keep coming because we have to find different out-the-box solutions because we haven't got a striker who's going to play for the rest of the season who feels that they're going to score every game. So hopefully... Um, Hopefully he can fill that, fill fill those, fill those boots. And and the other thing is, don't forget how good he is in the air. I think when he came in, he was he's got a load of great headers. Um, and I know we haven't been playing like that much, but and 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 and, and, and which is good because we went through that period where we were just crossing the ball into nobody for a while. And right now the the football around in the attacking third is so much better. You know, into feet, pull like varied. It's not just Tierney like wide on the left and then knocking it in. It's we're beginning to look like a much more coherent unit and 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 a team. So, yeah, it was it, it was great. But I think he was just ably assisted by by I think Saka had his best 
best game since the Euros, pretty much for Arsenal today. I thought it was outstanding. Uh, and all those players weaving in behind him, um, Smith Rowe coming on, my my boy Smith Rowe. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 you've, we've we've asked for some coherency of attacking play, and 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 we're we're beginning to get it. We're not getting it away from home, um, but but at home, like the, it feels like the confidence is up, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it it, it does. But I, I want to, because um, we are going to dig a little deeper into uh, the overall kind of objective look at our attack, uh, attacking cohesion as a unit. But I do want to focus uh, on a on on a little bit more of a minutia level and talk once again about a player who I thought had a standout game anyway, and that is Laka. Now. Uh, Laka, the answer is the banner for people that are listening to this in audio version. And um, uh, the reason why I think it kind of flows a bit naturally, because I kind of mentioned that not only did Martinelli have a standout game, but I thought that he was one of a number of players who we will talk about as well, like Saka, like Erdegaard, who all benefited from Laka's involvement in our attacking play and what he did in terms of bringing other players into the game and getting the best out of their um, out of their performances, what what did you think about Lacazette's performance? Before I uh, jump in and give my two pennies, look, I've, I've I've got to admit that there's a bit of a tension point around Lacazette for me. Um, not because I don't like him, not because I don't think he's a good player, but just because my heart tells me that he's not the future of Arsenal. And because of that, because we've just made so many poor short-term decisions over the years, we're dealing with one right now with Aubameyang. I don't want to get too attached to Lacazette and his future role in the team because I think that the right thing for us to do is is offload him and, and engineer the team for the future. That said, he's doing a great job being an, a, an incredible professional and doing a great job at helping a lot of the young players come through. And it does provide a good reason why amongst all this youth, uh, like a bit of experience can, can, can help as well. And, and it can't, I mean, it must be a tricky situation because I mean, Obama Yang's his best mate, or, or it certainly appears like their best mates. I don't know whether it's, it's, it's true or not. And then he has to come in and, and deliver. And I don't know whether he feels for his mate, or whether he thinks his mate's a fucking idiot or whatever, whatever he thinks, who knows, but, you know, so so I get it, and I and I know that you, you're a big fan. I know he, he's playing well, but um, I think it's in my mind, it's very much a case of great. Let's keep going, but we need to find between now and the end of the season. I mean, if Lacazette is still one of our best players at the end of the season, we're gonna have, we've got problems um, because it might force us to sign him up for another year, another two years. He's not going to want a one year deal. He's going to want a two year deal, and then it stops someone coming through like a Balogun or a new player or, or whatever. So that that's sort of where my head at head is that, which is, it's a bit unclear, but it's also undisputed what, what a good job he did today and has been doing. Well, so my kind of angle on this is more, and I've said this for a while now, you guys would have heard me waxing lyrical on this point. And I do push back a little bit on the fact that I'm a big fan. I'm not even a big fan. I'm just pragmatic and realistic about, the players that we have at our disposal. And I'm realistic about how sometimes, even if a player ultimately seems underwhelming with some 
parts of their output. You know, it would be nice if we had a striker who was banging in 30 goals a year and was doing everything. A Haaland, Haaland would be nice, but guess what? He's not coming. So we deal with this, you know, we, we have to make miracles out of what we have. And for me, Lacazette manages to not only put in functioning and useful performances in of himself, but he also makes other players around him play better. If we continue to play with a kind of attacking lineup where you have these two wing forwards, whether it be Saka and it appears Saka and one else, whether that's Smith Rowe or Martinelli. But you know, today it was Saka and Martinelli, and they both had great games. But I don't I don't discount the role that Lacazette's involvement in that, you know, uh, in, in, in how that provided assistance to them. He is an excellent link-up player. He, he's not even good. I think he's excellent. He takes the ball in them tight spaces. How many how many fouls did he buy today where he just takes that first touch, but he rolls the defender? And he's very good in tight spaces because he's got good control. We'd love to see more output in terms of his goal-scoring prowess. But if you can start... This is why it's so important if the likes of Martinelli... Emil Smith-Rowe coming on, getting another goal. Saka constantly, well, probably his most dangerous-looking game that I can remember for a while. Like really, really terrorising his opposition uh, fullback. And I think that if these guys started to step up and say, do you know what, I'm good for 10 to 15 Premier League goals a year each, then suddenly the dearth of goals we're getting from our actual strikers wouldn't be so so glaring because we're getting them from other positions now 100 you know you you made me think about it a slightly different way which is um you know liverpool and you know they've obviously gone and won the champions league won the league but their midfield you always used to look at it and go how are they so good because it was like james milner at one james milner henderson winyaldon all those sorts of players and so it does make you realise that, yes, it's about the players, but it's about the roles that they all play within the team. And you wouldn't say that James Milner is an exceptional player, but you put him in a team like Liverpool and he makes them exceptional. And maybe there's a bit of that in Lacazette. Maybe he's our sort of James Milner, where he may not be as exciting as you'd want him to be. He may be a little bit on the older side. He may have a lot of deficiencies in the game, but somehow he makes everyone around him play better. And maybe, 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 maybe there's a bit of the Milner in him. Well, well, I think not only is that an interesting point from you know, and and you make a good point with regards to how power, players can have an impact, and and that Liverpool being a good example of pros who are not necessarily glitz and glamour um, players, but and yet the sum of their parts altogether is quite outstanding. But there's a more glaring example, I would say, at Liverpool of how I have how I consider Lacazette in terms of as a striker. And that is Bobby Firmino. Now, he, you know, you often get these commentators, Gary Neville and all of these lot, just waxing lyrical about what a good player Firmino is. And for me, at times, I'm just like, you know, it goes over my head a little bit. I'm like, he's not, he's certainly never been a 20 goal a season striker. He never will be as well. But what their point always is, is that he doesn't necessarily need to. Because Salah plays fantastic with him, and so does Mane, and they're chipping in with 20 goals a season. Now, Saka and Smith-Rowe are not ready to hit those levels of productivity yet. But what I think Arsenal fans need to do with regards to Laka, or a player that we might sign who's like-minded to Laka and similar to him in future, is 
not necessarily look for our, you know, goal output in the same areas that we're used to. We're used to having incredibly productive strikers, whether it be Henri, you know, through to Van Persie, Adi Bayor was doing it for a while. And we ex- and then Aubameyang come in and it was 20 goals a season. Yes, please. Thank you and good night. And if we don't get that, we're like, oh, no, we're not a great attacking unit. Whereas Liverpool have shown that actually your main striker doesn't need to be dishing out 20 goals a year. Actually, if you've got your others around there who can play it, you know, and your main striker is a false nine who's dropping and, and threading balls, you know, to those players, then suddenly if your wing attack players are chipping in with serious goal contributions, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like we're missing out. The overall sum of our productivity is is more than enough to get us where we need to be. So, for me, I um, people keep whenever I talk about like I said, they're always like, "Don't offer him a contract, don't offer him a contract." And and I understand that everyone's there sitting there going, "He's not our long term solution." I, I I agree, but what I did say is, if we could somehow get Aubameyang off the books, and I don't know if that is even possible, then Lacazette provides more of a function in the way that we're at least currently playing, in the way that Arteta wants to play, and with the players that are in and around him, he certainly gets more out of them. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's there's a few things on the around give him a contract, don't give him a contract. The first one is, if I could give him a year, 100%, but I don't think he's going to, I don't think players over 30 take year extensions anymore. The second piece is, we've got some scar tissue because we're dealing with the second big contract extension issue in a row. So we had it with Ozil. We finally got it, got it, got it solved. And then almost immediately we're plunged into contract chaos number two. So, you know, we've got, we've got, so I think that's also making us, um, making us wary, but you know, he, he, he's playing well. Oh, the third thing is, uh, it always seems that players really hit their heights when they're fighting for a contract extension and then they get the contract and then they get back to it. And so all those three things are at play when you're watching these good performances. So it's, can he do it for another two years? I don't know. He's pretty old then. He's already pretty slow. Two is, 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 are his effort levels going to be the same once he's got that lot for the next two years? I don't know. I mean, everyone pretends that it's going to be the, the same, but it's not. And 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 three, I think we're just we've, we've there's been so so few offensive signings by Arteta. Like, let's be honest, there's nothing more exciting than signing a striker. There's not, it's just the best. It's the best feeling when when you go out and splash a load of cash on a striker. So I think as Arsenal fans, we've been starved of it since Aubameyang, and that was sort of a weird one. It was in a January. It's not like the big news and you see it on the back page in the summer, and then you're waiting for the first game of the season. We're all desperate to see some big name strikers coming into the club, and and basically the good, the only good thing about our striker situation being so bad is that we literally have to spend a hundred million dollars, hundred million pounds on two strikers this summer. <laughs> like, mm. I don't really see whether it's one or two. I mean, that's what it's going to cost to re-engineer a whole front line, right? I mean, you can't you, do it for much less. And you would spent- have thought so. Yeah, so we're all just, in my mind, I'm just like, just don't let anything get in the way of that. <laughs> if he has to go, just let him go. I want Calvert-Lewin or Vlavic. From, I just want them all in now and just because it really feels like that's such a missing link of this young team that we're building that's beginning to get exciting. That is a fantastic point. And I do think that that is where some of the uh, hesitancy or reluctance to 
shower lacquer with a bit of praise, give him his flowers um, because they think that in some way, if you praise lacquer now, he's going to end up with a bumper five-year contract, 500 grand a week and no strikers coming in. But, you know, praise where credit's due. Credit where credit's due. He's been performing well. And another guy who has been performing well, there's no question about that. I don't think anyone could argue with his output, has been form of Martin Erdegaard over the last few games. And I did want to pick him out for special commendation as well. Um, thought he had a great game. What were your thoughts, Matt? I mean, he's really just coming on strength to strength. He's been getting on the score sheet. He looks like a leader. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people talking about uh, him as captain of Arsenal. Uh, I personally think it's way too early for him to be to come in after, you know... <laughs> However many seven starts this season, and then Nathan captain just seems would, would seem odd to me. But he's definitely a leader on the pitch. He's part of this new guard. Look again, I have a bit of the same issue. It's like I don't want to see anyone taking Smith Rowe's place. So because I just think Smith Rowe's the best. I think he's the best talent at the club. Um, but what is good is that these players seem to have end product. There were a couple of seasons ago where I think our midfielders scored about two goals all season. Two Premier League goals, three Premier League goals, and suddenly, you know, Smith Rowe's gone on a run. He scored scored five Premier League goals this season, or whatever. Erdegaard's got three, and so I think it's I think what we really need is to find a way in a system where all these players can can have a can can, can fit into it, and then you know have all this end product. So, um, yeah, I think. I mean, interestingly, it was the game against West Ham last season when Erdegaard really just you know i think we were three nil down and he he led that he he ran the game and, and got us back into it so um he's doing well what, what you're, you're a big fan again or you i thought you were a little bit like on off um well no not at all actually i'm i'm, I'm quite a fan <laughs> of uh mr odegaard i mean in t- so i for the people that have been following the pod for a while, they'll know my stance in the sense that I, I did in the summer say that I preferred James Madison. And for the reasons that I stated, he'd probably still stand. However, I did say at the time we signed Erdegaard, I thought that was the best deal because he proved to be the best value. I certainly didn't think that Madison was worth £40 million more than Erdegaard was. No way. And that is also bearing fruit, I think. Um, what I've been so impressed with Erdegaard about, um, there has been a step up on what we were even seeing towards the end of last season. He looks like he's up to speed with Premier League football and ready for the physicality of it. He's not the fastest. I mean, there was a point in there where Declan Rice was running away from him and I was like, oh no, it's not what you need in your YouTube highlights reel, Declan Rice run away. And Declan Rice is not that fast, let's be honest. Um, and Erdegaard was on the travelator moving backwards. But because he is so quick with his mind, he will often, the old adage, the old football idiom about the first few yards are in, your, in, in a player's mind, well, he has that in droves. And certainly in and around those tight areas, in and around the box, when it does get jam-packed, it doesn't matter if you're rapid or not because there's nowhere to run. But what does matter is how quick you can process situations how quickly? How good is your tr- how good is your touch? I should say. Can you trust your touch in those tight areas? And he absolutely can all of those. But he is starting to show leadership as well, which I have been impressed by. I absolutely have no interest in the man as captain. He's he's by no means done enough for Arsenal. He's 
far too um, fresh a player in at the club to even think about giving him the armband. Gabriel or Ramsdale is my um, short, medium to long-term solution. Um, there's there's no other candidates as far as I'm concerned, bearing in mind that the only reason that Kieran Tierney's name doesn't get brought up for my money is that he's injury prone. But, um, you know, let's return to Erdegaard. And, and, and I just think that he is starting to have massive influence over our attacking cohesion, the way that we go at set about teams. He's constantly, if not getting... If he's not necessarily getting the assist, what do we talk about sometimes? Getting the assist of an assist, that key pass. Oh, he's the pre-assist. The pre-assist. The lovely little pre-assist. Almost as important as assist, but rarely, uh, rarely as applauded. But um, he is involved in all of those moments. And I think that he is now really starting to take responsibility and go looking for the ball. I thought that um, we will also have a quick word on him after this, but... Emil Smith Rowe, because I don't what I don't necessarily want it to be, and I know you know your your towels have just your towels just gone up, and you you know your ears have gone up. You're in attack mode. Don't you dare slag a meal off, and I won't be, and I won't be. But I don't necessarily want it to be a situation where it's a choice between Emil Smith Rowe or Erdegaard. I don't know whether Arteta sees it that way, but obviously Smith Rowe has currently been dislodged by Martinelli, who's hasn't put a foot wrong since he's been in, looks very good. Saka's had his best game in ages. And so Erdegaard was the player that came out today. Um, But I don't think that it was in any way a um, sign that Erdegaard didn't more than deliver when he was on the pitch. And as I say, just to double down, that quick passing, having players in the attacking third who can play the ball quickly, some of the deft touches, that is when Arsenal were at their best. It's the quick interchange of play in and around the box, which just puts defenders on the back foot. And that is when we start to see real destructive capabilities of our attacking potential on full display. Well, I think, um, and, I, and I, I'm completely on board with that. And I think for me, it's, you know, you ask what is what is Arsenal DNA in terms of attacking sense? And and for me, it's like, like all of Arsene Wenger's team, Arsene Wenger really redefined us as an attacking team after George Graham. And... You know there are very various iterations of 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 of, of teams, some more successful than other as Arsene Wenger. But where I think we are at our best is when is when we are able to just have that quick one touch passing that you sort of saw on a more consistent level in in, in better years. And but even when we weren't doing well, you still had those amazing goals that we scored against Norwich, a little bit like the one we scored on the weekend where it went from back to front. And Lacazette scored it. And I think I just get the feeling that we're just beginning to to get our mojo back in, in, in an offensive way and the way the whole team is playing and beginning to establish a bit of an identity again. And the good news is it's not like a, a new identity. It feels it feels very awesome, Wenger. You know, it's like when we had like Cazorla and Jack Wilshere, which, you know, it was a good team, not a great team. But it feels that like we're sort of reaching those levels. And then I think the next challenge, once we reach those levels, is to go on and be better than those teams, uh, better than the Wilshires and Cazorlas and, and really like stamp our authority. And then you're trying to emulate the team that beat Barcelona at home. And then you're trying to emulate teams, that, you know. So, but I think that's where we all feel, feel at our best. And it feels like we're beginning to get the personnel in there. And, you know, one player who we absolutely 
tore apart recently has been Thomas Partey. Um, but I thought he was a lot better today. And, and you know, the best compliment I can give him is I didn't notice him. <laughs> Kept it really simple. Really simple. No, none of the flash stuff. Got the ball, passed it off. That's what we bought him for. You know, you may have been sold in on the idea of being more than more than a destroyer. Dreams over. You know, that's what we want you to do. Yeah, you had your chance to be the, a more expensive player. Didn't work out. Now just like sit in front of that back four and and, and elegantly shield us from from any danger. That's what I want from you. And um, and it was much better on that front today. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I I, ag- I agree with that. Um, t- one thing Thomas Party did do is he hit a shot that was definitely going in as well, and it got a, a wonderful block by the West Ham defender. Now, if you're playing at the level of football that I and many of our listeners have played at. There's many times where all you can walk off the pitch saying is, oh, I hit this one. It was going top corner, mate. We'll never know. Defender got in the way. But I'll tell, it, I'll tell you what, that Thomas Party one looked goal bound. Um, I know you kind of have, uh, have touched on this point as well, but I did want to really dig deep into this situation, into this subject, I should say. Um, is there finally attacking coherency? And that is because it's something that I have talked about for you know, till I'm blue in the face on this podcast, um, it's what I've longed for, and it is it's the missing part of any positive moods that I sometimes get myself into when we might may you know we, we get the positive result that we're necessarily looking for, but with a performance that doesn't necessarily convince, and it's one that stops short of making us feel like if we were to get to the level where we are hoping to achieve, which is top, hopefully a top four space by the end of the season, do we have the building blocks to move further forward in terms of our attacking unit and push on and maybe, you know, be a problem in the Champions League if we were to ever get there? So, yeah, I, I know you kind of touched on it, but do you think that we have got that attacking mojo now? Do you think that it was an issue of... Players maybe, you know, at the starting personnel that Arteta was maybe mishandling or was it just a case of players finally starting to, from an attacking point of view at least, starting to get the messages that Arteta has been trying to pump out there for so long and it's finally, you know, the the pennies finally dropped for a lot of these guys. We've just beaten West Ham. We've put in a great, great performance. Every bit of me wants to say that we've finally found attacking coherency, but the the reality is we've still got major issues from an attacking standpoint, you know, and, I, and this isn't an attempt to like to put a dampener on today, but we just got to positive goal difference. <laughs> like <laughs> that's embarrassing in December. And it, and it's crazy because we're, 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 we're fourth in the league, but you know, this attacking coherency is basically almost impossible when you don't have a good striker. And look, it's something I think that Chelsea um, have struggled with in, in recent years, and 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 then they they and then they went out and spent a load of money, and they still haven't completely solved the problem because you cannot be the. It's like having a bow and an arrow, but the arrow's got, got a, it's blunt, you know, rather than having a spear on the end. It's like you've got to have a focal point of an attack and. When you've got that, it masks a load of different problems. It masks a lot of your problems. Like think about Robin Van Persie, think about Adebayor, 
you know, those guys are, they make you lethal going forward. So we're, we're blunt. We're still blunt going forward. And I personally am just looking forward to the summer to re-engineer it. The good news is that it seems like we're building the foundations of attacking coherency. We've got these players buzzing around. We've got Saka, we've got Smith Rowe, we've got Martinelli, we've got Odegaard. You know, they're all probably going to score between five and 10 goals this season. And the hope is that next season, if they could all go from 10 to 15, well, then we've got a team on our hands. You know, that's, that's, that, that, and, and, and that feels like it's, it's really possible. But, you know, it's a bit like what we were saying about Bellerin. And we're like, yeah, Bellerin didn't seem like the biggest problem in the world. And then you get Tommy Asin, you're like, fuck me, Bellerin was a problem. Same mm. with Leno. Same with Aubameyang. You know, you're like, oh, you know, he's not scoring as many goals as we thought. But, you know, he's we've got bigger problems than Aubameyang. I mean, he's still a class that. You give him a chance, he'll score it. And then suddenly, oh, look at this. Look at this chap coming oh, in. Oh, I'm dialing in. <laughs> I'm on the Holloway Road. He, I thought he was on the Holloway Road. I'm pretty sure I recognise that chicken shop. A few I, of my sins I, in there, that's for sure. I, I'm just there. Uh, I won't. I won't ruin your show because it's great. But it's there. Uh, I'm just walking down the Holloway Road. I've just been to a, an Omicron bar and uh, taken my dose to ruin Christmas. But what a game! Atmosphere was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Martinelli. Oh my God, he's a real boy. He's a man. Erdegaard. Unbelievable. Saka, an absolute demon out on the wing. Aaron Ramsdale's passing when you see it in real life. It makes me frisky. It makes me frisky. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. We need to sort out the striker issues. Um, but overall, you know, 21 shots. The XG perverts are absolutely made up because we won 3-0 against West Ham. and We beat a big team and no one can argue that. So absolutely fantastic. Anyway, I'll duck out. Lovely to see you both. I'll, uh, I'm looking forward to listening to the podcast on the way home. Please, Cheerio. Just, but just before you go, um, obviously, we'll move on to it in a bit more detail. But your views on Arteta, if you're confident, shout them out down Holloway Road. Shout out how you feel about Arteta. I'm, I'm going to do that. Listen, I, I don't think there's any Arteta out online at the moment. I think he's starting <laughs> to prove a point. And I think all of the people that said that the Obama Yang captaincy uh, was an issue on Arteta's part. We're totally wrong. Lacazette was an absolute leader, the catalyst for everything good. We just need to find a striker that can do that at speed. But anyway, great night for the will Arsenal. You, Miss you will, both, and I'll, uh, I'll catch up with you soon. Where do you give Lacazette any help? He's off. He's oh, off. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah, he, he knows he can't say it too loud. All the Arteta out brigade are like, we've got a location on him. He's on Holloway Road. Let's get down there now. So Pete's going to be running out for his own safety. And I think he, I think he scored an, ex, he, he saw an extra goal. He saw it was three 0 the game he went to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe our coverage was uh, a bit bum there, but yeah, uh, uh, maybe yeah, maybe that penalty actually went in for that matter. But um, no, we were talking about yeah, the, but just saying we didn't realize Obama Yang was such a problem. You know, it was like oh, he's a bit out of form. He'll get back into form. He's had a few issues. It's his mum. It's this. It's that. He's a bit slow. It's a bit sluggish. And then suddenly, um, I mean, it was only a month ago Arteta was saying, actually, he's great and he's trying this. And looking back, it feels like that was like Arteta's last throw of the dice. It was like, we're going to try anything to get the best out of you and just start you behaving a bit better. And it's like, we're going we're gonna to give you the carrot. So he got the carrot, didn't change a thing. 
And then it was just like, well, there's just, the one, what, there's just one thing for it. It's the stick. <laughs> and now it's like, if, if it's not just the stick. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a baseball bat saying, basically, I'm going to make it so bad and so public that we're going to try and get rid of you in January. I can't think of any, any other reason why he's gone so hard. Yeah, no. And, and I do think that, um, you know, a, a, a few things to be said on that front is that, you know, you say about not everyone realised that we had a problem with Aubameyang. I'd probably put myself on the other side of that. I've kind of been a little bit more worried about what we've seen for Aubameyang for a while. I was flagging up towards the end of last season that I wasn't actually sure that he was ever going to regain his form. And I thought that certainly the way Pete was talking at times, it was a little bit overly optimistic that not only can he could he come back and you know kind of regain form but actually get back to the levels that he was playing at before and for me I think there's been a general decline which we've seen for a longer time and that realistically was always going to continue it's very hard for a player once they're on that kind of downward trend to buck that trend and revert yeah, back to I mean you know the thing I'd say though is the weird thing about it was it felt like it was overnight because, I mean, the guy pulled a couple of... He won us the FA Cup with a man-of-the-match performance, comes back, scores in the community shield, brilliant goals, scores on the opening day, brilliant goals. And then it just went went weird. And it just just went completely off the boil. And uh, and that was the weird thing for me. It, was, it, was just, it wasn't like he came back one season. It was literally overnight. And that was the thing that gave me some hope because I felt like... Maybe it is external factors. Maybe it is COVID. Maybe it is his mum. Maybe it is that. And clearly those things aren't over because you can talk about maybe it's COVID and maybe it's his mum. Well, guess what? It's COVID is still raging on. And guess what? He was in Paris seeing his sick mum. So, I mean, maybe it's all all, all, all interlinked still because it's not like we've, we've moved past these problems. They're, 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 they're still there. Oh, 100%. And I, and I don't want to, you know, try and... Uh ordain myself with some kind of mystic mega abilities it's not so much that it did kind of happen quite suddenly but the difference is when this happened from his covid slash malaria i think he had at one point as well um a player at his stage of his career is very hard once you start to really struggle and 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 go back down It's, it's different to a young player it's like coming back from a big injury young players are much more resilient and and able to bounce back because they're younger. That's the way it is. And whereas a, a player at his stage of his career, they're really cooked ultimately. And if they have issues, particularly a player like Aubameyang, whilst he does thrive off of the stuff in and around the box, he also relies on his pace somewhat. And that seems to have dissipated a little bit. He's certainly lost a yard of pace. But kind of apart from that, I also would say that even in the times where he was scoring goals to help us win the FA Cup final, the um, Community Shield, I never really thought or ever felt that he fitted into what Arteta was trying to do with him. Even the goals often came when he was on the fringes of the game, playing on the wing and just suddenly suddenly bursting through, getting onto a chance. And what you could always guarantee with Aubameyang was he was an absolutely lethal finisher. If you gave him a chance, bang, it's a goal. And you just knew it. As Arsenal fans, we'd watch him go through and go, get in. Almost like celebrating before it is. Now, you're like, until that ball goes in and we play replays, I am not celebrating anything that comes into Aubameyang because it just doesn't look like, 
things are happening naturally for him anymore. So I, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. And you know, and and when you can you juxtapose that with what Lacazette is bringing into the team and the way that he is getting more out of the players in and around him, then quite frankly, a lackluster you know catalogue of displays from Aubameyang, as well as what seems like I don't care whether people are have their own agendas with Arteta or not. I certainly back him over the Aubameyang issue. He's done this before. If you're late again, just don't mess around, mate. You're, you're out the team. Get out. And we know that it's even easier to drop you because you've been playing shit. You've been playing shit. So guess what? When you play shit, you're an easy player to drop. That's the way it is. And um, do again, it's not like we believe that Lacazette is the soulful and in a number of years' time, Lacazette's still going to be leave, leading our front line. No. But right now, I think he's the best solution. And well, well one, of the, one of the best... Uh, the, the podcast that you guys did with Perry Groves I thought was absolutely brilliant was one where Perry Groves was basically saying that George Graham was a disciplinarian, but he would always give Paul Merson another chance because the Merson is just such a brilliant footballer and he knew he needed him to win football matches and you know you it's it's sort of that you can see some similarities because you're basically going he it felt like maybe he was getting the rub of the green whilst he was still the number one striker at the club and and could bail us out but the moment that his form didn't afford him that luxury then it was the time to get tough on him so it feels like a it feels like Arteta didn't have the confidence that he was going to be enough as a striker to get us to where we need to get to in the back half of the season. Because if he if he thought he needed Obama Yang's goals still this season, he would not have done this. It, well, that is it. That, and I think that's what it really boils down to. So we got on to the man. Um, in fact, just a quick one. It was going to be a, a, a big subject, but I know... You don't need much encouragement talking about this guy, do you? Oh. Um, just a just a quick one because we have um, we have touched on this issue, and we have a couple of quick points to end on. So I do want to move on to those. But right now we're talking to Mill Smith Rowe. He's came on for twenty minutes at the end, bagged himself a goal, been dropped. Let's be honest; it seemed like an injury at first. That was the explanation for his exclusion from the starting lineup at first. But Martinelli's come in, hit the ground running. Should Emil Smith-Rowe regain his place for all of what he's done this season? And if he was to regain his place, who whose place would he be taking? So, um, you know, I'm a big Smith-Rowe fanboy and I think um, I think he's he's the player with the highest ceiling at the whole club. I really do. I think he's I think he's amazing. I think he's 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 a gooner. I love him. I love his creativity. I love the way he plays, everything about him, as you know. Always have done, always will, unless he doesn't Obama Yang and disappears off and all that shit but it doesn't feel like it so um so i absolutely love him um i think it was right to take him out the firing line i think that was a bit of it because it's just been such a crazy ascendancy for him and it, and it sort of peaked in that england performance when he went and he scored on his debut and it was like he played his first full game for arsenal on december the 26th last year and now you know within 12 months he's playing, starting and scoring for England. And I think it would be pretty difficult for anybody not to, one, just be quite exhausted by like the journey that he's been on. 
and two, just not be like, not deserve like a moment of reflection on how far he's come. And I think you saw it. He came back from England duty and looked a bit off the ball, to be honest. Like it looked like, you know, it was a bit of a bump to earth. You know, he's just playing for England with all these players that he probably dreamt of. And then, and then the next thing he's got to go and put in an eight out of 10 in a Premier League game. And that's, that's where the top level footballers are so special because they play three games a week. They play Champions League. They play two Premier League games and they put an eight or nine out of 10 in all three of them. And for young players like Smith Rowe and Saka, I think you you know they're young because they can't do that. You know, they can do an eight, but like, you know, then these guys aren't even playing midweek games. But then the next week it's like a six, you know? And so I think, and so I think it was exactly absolutely the right decision to take out. And someone in one of the comments actually earlier said it really well, which is, you know, and 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 I think it's just been repeated. But like Smith Rowe, Martinelli, Erdegaard, Saka for three spots, said Ryan Roy, is is a great problem to have. And look, there's always going to be an injury. There's always going to be someone tired. So I don't think it's about can Smith Rowe regain his place. I think it's how can we rotate those players in our system consistently so someone is always fresh and uh and feel and 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 ready but this is another great point which is the heartbeat of arsenal the heartbeat is smith rowe and saka it's those two and maybe in ter- in the future it'll become smith rowe and saka and martinelli or or whatever but smith rowe and saka the fans have a connection with them they've come through they're arsenal through and through and they have this unique chemistry when they play where they can just find each other wherever they are on the pitch. And so ultimately, when it really matters, we're always going to have to make sure that those two are on the pitch together. That's 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 going to be it. Every big game, you've got to make sure that those two are fit and and everyone else is fitting around. So that that's 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 basically it. And, and it's another great point. ESR basically makes Arteta's plan work. And you see it. I mean... Let's look at the the two games that Smith throws out for. I mean, look what happens. Yeah, right. I, it, it, it's it's a very interesting quandary, isn't it? And I thought that um, Ryan Ray, as you as you write to highlight his point, was I thought very apt. Certainly, the way I feel about it, Smith Rowe, Martinelli, Erdegaard, Saka, all for free places. It's a very good situation to be in, and and for all of those years with Arsenal, where. You know, it seems good when you have a player that's performing well, but when you really scratch the surface, the fact that there are no competition for places just leads to this kind of yeah, lackadaisical uh, attitude and compl- uh, uh, um, complacency that means that even players that are performing well, it's not long before things start to move downhill and they start to just get a little bit too cocky and confident in the fact that, they look over and they look at their competition and go, well, you're not dropping me, are you? Even Aubameyang, he's had it for ages. And I think that's also led to where we find ourselves with him. And I think the situation with Smith-Rowe is interesting. I do think that Smith-Rowe, when we talk about the fact of Lacazette and we say, you know what, this guy is not a long-term solution in terms of our striking um, quandary. Smith-Rowe is everything. He epitomises long-term plan for Arsenal. That is as simple as that. Him and Saka... You were right to point out they are what currently smack of everything about Arsenal right now. They've got it. They've got it in droves of it. It's it's they excite they excite the fan base and not just with their you know exciting playing styles, but also for their connection to the club and that idea that 
these aren't necessarily guys that are going to get a little bit better and go, do you know what, right, I'm going to get a move to another club. No, they made it. They're dreaming. They're, they're playing for the team they support, and this is why we buy in. But the fact is, is I didn't think that it was necessarily a problem for Smith Rowe to get dropped, in, and I think it's been an even bigger masterstroke by Arteta leaving Smith Rowe out for this time because of the form of Martinelli. And what have we said? We want our players, when they come in and get given a chance, to take your opportunity. That's what Martinelli's done. He's coming and he said, guess what? I'm actually a real problem. I'm a real dude. I'm smacking in goals now. Anyone anyone want to race me? Anyone really? I'm, I'm rapid, mate, and I'm and I'm busy. And the fact is, is that we're a problem. No, no one's going to be turning up at Arsenal thinking, oh, yeah, fancy run, uh, having a run around against Martinelli. But when you have Smith Rowe to complement that as well, because I think that Smith Rowe certainly adds something. The thing about those four players, they all add something different. You know, I think Smith Rowe and Saka are remotely similar in, ter- in terms of what they do on the pitch, not necessarily how they do it. Um, Martinelli offers something different and Erdegaard, again, something different. But, you, you know, what is so exciting about this is the fact that they can interchange and they're so integral to the way that we want to play from an attacking point of view that if someone was to get injured, as will be inevitable with some of these players, we're not at death's door in terms of our, you know, our prospects from our uh, upcoming fixtures because we've got other people who are ready to step up and get back in. So for that matter... I would probably say, unfortunately, I don't think you can just walk back in and regain your space for nothing else than to make sure that anyone who's currently in the team and performing well maintains that level of confidence and confidence that good games get more opportunities to play in games um, uh, in, in the shape of Martinelli and Erdegaard. And, and overall, when Smith Rowe does come on, hopefully he has just the kind of impact he did today. Well, you know, the craziest thing is that a year ago, we didn't have Smith Rowe. We didn't have Erdegaard. And, uh, and, 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 and we were so, and, 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 um, you know, you just think, think back at like where we were and, and, and what, like we were still, and we didn't, like, it's terrible. How, how did we expect to be anything? Uh, and, and, and we were like, oh, we've got a good group of players that are underperforming. You look back at it and go, Actually, I don't know if it was a good group of players. Like we've had to completely re-engineer the team. Sometimes we overestimate our 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 players. So, you know, um, yeah, it's it's looking much more much more promising. Yeah, and there there are some comments kicking off in our um, chat chat room as well, which are shaped around Nicholas Pepe and uh, whether he could be involved in this. Um... Absolutely not. It's just not. Absolutely not. The guy. Alas, is I think what what sums up what we love about Smith Rowe and Saka is that they are clever footballers. Pepe is a talented individual. Yeah, he's not a clever footballer. He's just not. Technically, yeah. got 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 a lot of got a lot to like, but he he's not the right player for this. He needs to go and play for a, a more free-form... T- I mean, he could maybe play at Newcastle or something like that, where it's less about the system and more about, you know, something like that. Maybe yeah, I have to I have to somewhat echo those thoughts because we can't stay on Pepe for long. We do have a couple of other points to hammer home. Um, <laughs> but just, you know, Pepe overall, a very, very talented football player. And if he is going to have any solution in this current Arsenal team, it will be as a potential solution to our striking issues. 
Could he provide a solution up front? I'm not so sure he can. I don't think he holds the ball up well enough. But his biggest issue, as I've been on from day dot with Pepe, or certainly for a very long time, is is a mentality issue. I think um, he's quite weak mentally. And whilst when he's on good form, he can look very exciting, he doesn't. He just he just doesn't strike me as someone who could be consistently performing at a high level. Um, Matt, I did want to move it on. And yep. I do want to move it on. We've got two big points to end on. And they will kind of somewhat tie in with each other. But first of all, to try and get some tongues wagging, uh, is the Arteta review. So obviously, we don't like to have to do a referendum on Arteta every single game. But that's that's where we kind of find ourselves in. You You have shocking performances at Everton. And the fan base are left to reflect as to whether... We have the right captain at the helm. Are we moving in the right directions? Surely a performance like this convinces not only people like ourselves, but you know the wider fan base as a whole that we're at least moving in the direct in the right direction. What what do you take for or, or what kind of appraisal would you give Arteta right now? I think the same one we've given him all season, and we're probably going to be giving him for the second half, which is it's two steps forward, one step back constantly. Um. But the good thing about that is at least there's progress and it's slower than what we would have liked, but we are moving in the direction. There seems to me to be a big bridge that we need to take, which is our home form. I, I think we can safely say at the end of the season is going to be top four home form. The thing that's going to either make or break our season is our away form. It's been absolutely fucking terrible. So we need to try and fix that starting with the Leeds game. They just got hammered 7-0. So we need to somehow, over. we've got Leeds and we've got Norwich, and we've got to try and get four points from those two away games. And if we can get four points from those away games, then, you know, it's 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 it, it, it's it's all good. But, um, you know, I think he definitely doesn't need anyone saying Arteta out before the end of the season. We're fourth, and it's December the 15th. Um, and, you know, time will tell. Whether he's the right man or the wrong man, we've got to get behind him for the rest of the season and, and see where we can get to. It, we may look back in a few years and he may be our Claudio Ranieri. He may be the guy who set all the foundations in place for someone to come in and take the team and win the Premier League with them. So He could be our Frank Lampard while we wait for our Thomas Tuchel, you know? So um, we don't know what his role is, but right now... There's absolutely no reason to to get on his back. Yeah, I mean, so in terms of where I see it, and I've been I've been consistent on this um, to double down and to just remind maybe some of the people who are listening to for the first time. I, I I certainly wanted to see the back of the guy towards the end of last year. I thought it was extremely disappointing and thought he earned the sack. But as I said at the time, if we are to continue with him, it's a simple threshold. You've got to be getting top four. For this amount of time that you've been in the club, simply saying this process that we kept hearing about, it just wasn't cutting the mustard anymore. I need to see actual results and I need to see a coherent plan on the pitch that would that had room to grow into something that might you know, be able to have us competing at an even higher level in the future. Um, for that matter, where do we find ourselves right now? We find ourselves in the top four. So... I don't know how anyone can be overly 
critical of of what we're doing. And and I'm not saying that he's getting everything right. I'm really not saying it. Some people still hark on the historical error, which I completely agree with is an error, with letting Saliba go out on loan. Whether or not that can be retrieved and rectified by next year, we'll wait and see. But right now, he has got us playing... It is sporadic, and and every time I don't I don't want to lurch into big standout statements because, as you said, two steps forward, one step back. Next week we could be going. We don't know what we're doing from an attacking point of view, so I don't want to be, um, you know, kind of overly bold in in my declarations. However, what I said is I want to see us doing it against a big team, not last year's big team, a big team who are going to be in and around it this year. You can't question whether or not West Ham are that because ask Liverpool and Chelsea what they're about. They're a serious unit. They've come into town and they've been well beaten today. Let's get realistic. Of course, the referee got involved. And in my money, it wasn't a penalty either. Uh, we were we were fortunate on that front. But I don't think any West Ham fans walking out of there going, oh, you know, we were robbed. They were They were well beaten. We were fully in control of that game. And that was not only the result that we needed, but this is what I'm talking about when I say the performance. We went up against a direct rival and handled that game. And we looked good and we looked dangerous. Obviously, they've had to... uh, Fabianski had to save a penalty. I mean, where on earth was that from when he was at Arsenal? Uh, We don't know. Flappy Hansky. (laughs) Flappy Hansky, indeed. But, you know, at this point, I have to say from my own appraisal of him, Arteta is getting the job done, whether you like it or not. And... If we continue to progress in this way from an attacking point of view, there's no reason why he can't go on to succeed because this is more tangible. That These are the kinds of performances that I can hang some actual hope onto because I'm actually starting to see us being able to break a team down in a way that so often escapes us, particularly in crunch games, but you know, in a lot of games for that matter. And we're going to know a lot more in two weeks because we've got a lot of games. And I think the City game is looks potentially like the first time we'll be going into a game against the top three, probably the best team in the league, in a good place to play them. So, um, you know, when we played Chelsea and City earlier in the season, we were a complete shambles and a mess all over the club, you know, from the, from, from the transfer window to all of that stuff. But, you know, it looks like we're going to go in that City game with a pretty pretty clean bill of health, touch wood, at home where we've got one of the best records in the league and hopefully we'll have our tails up and we can give them a bit more of a game. So, you know, uh, we've, we, we, we can't say it's all, about, it's, it's all about results when they're not going for us. We've got to say at the moment we're fourth and I know people are going, oh yeah, but Spurs haven't played. Tex Gooner said Spurs have got three games in hand. and the, Yeah, but who cares? We can only do what we can do, right? We're fourth. Um, and it's and and Pete right from the beginning of the season has been saying, put us within a spitting distance of fourth come Jan one, and you've got to back us because we're always better in the back half of the year, and the team has had longer to bed. So, you know, we've got to be cautiously optimistic. Well, this kind of segues nicely into our final point of the podcast, as we say. Is top four on, Matt? Is it on? I mean, you know, uh, not only are we going to talk around it, but you give me your genuine thoughts on whether we, at come the end of the season, will be sitting in that top four position. I think it's on, um, but I think it's going to be extremely hard. And if I was a betting man, I would still 
say that it's more likely that we won't make top four than we will. And the reason for that is we're, you know, like <laughs> the Spurs point is true and they've got Conte in charge now and they can only get better. United have got Ranić in charge. They can only get better. You know, um, I think we'll get better, but it's really about like the rate of the progression and which who 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 improves fastest. I think West Ham will drop out, so I think it's between us, Spurs, and United. I still think United have got the best squad of the three, just in terms of pure talent. They've just got so so much quality, but it's it's also quality that's not been built into any system at all. So. I think it's going to be a really, really interesting thing. The advantages we've got are we've played some big rivals away from home in the first half of the season. Um, so I think it's going to go to the last two or three games. Yeah, yeah. And I I, 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 I um, certainly think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of validity in what you say and your kind of perspective on it. For me, there's a few things. Number one, we, we can... As you rightfully declare, there Ranić in at United and Conte in at Spurs would make everyone think that there is going to be an uplift in results. There already has been at Tottenham. Um, United Nick summit against us, awful result there. But um, they're going to have a bounce in both of their results, and that would mean that overall, if we have any hopes of getting top four, we will have to, you know, pick our results up ourselves, and we will have to end strongly in the way that Pete talked about and. You know, I think is more than possible. Um, and uh, the thing is, is so, for whoever was talking about Tottenham having three games in hand, of course, but Tottenham are, are certainly fallible. They're by no means some, you know, invincible team that go into all them games thinking... We're three a better points. team than Tottenham, I think. I do as well. And and obviously the Harry Kane situation has not been resolved for them and will not be resolved, I don't think, until he leaves in the summer. So... You know, of course, they've got um, a very talented player in Sun, but outside of that, it's not it's not that worrying, really. It's not that ominous when you look at the way that our team and squad is structured and where our great players are. They're all being young. They're all being familiar with the league. And obviously, this is the real crux of the matter. We have a manager who's been in for three years. That's the simple facts of it. If you cannot get more out of your team after three years than a manager who's come in for three weeks or, you know, three months a little bit further down the line, then I'm sorry, you know, you have to be judged accordingly. Well, there's another piece, which is, you know, those teams are going to be playing European football at some point. And so us having that extra time when things get busy is also, you know, could be, could be, that could be the deciding factor. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, if I'm going to press myself for an answer, then I'll say top four absolutely is on and it needs to be on. Because to be honest, if we don't get it and we go, oh, aren't we playing well and we end up in six, I'm sorry, but my perspective on Arteta will quickly shift back to where, whether or not this is the guy that we need to take us forward. He's got to get it done. And I think he's got every reason and every opportunity to get it done. if, If he does... Well, that would be a hell of an achievement. It will. It will be a good. It will be a good achievement. Yeah. In three years, it will be appropriate for where we are. And then, what I want more than anything else is to be playing the kind of form I suspect we'll have to to achieve those goals. But playing with the kind of form that could give us all hope that there's more to come as well, and we could push on and really, you know, really start challenging the teams at the top. 
What a lovely, optimistic way to end the podcast. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Well, this has been a special podcast, actually, because it's been the first, although he did make a little cameo, it's been the first without LeGrove himself, Pedro. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us in the uh, chat room. Your comments have been really great, helping our discussion. Um, thanks for tuning in in general. Matt, where can people find you? At Matt Candela on Twitter, um, I'm I'm getting more involved. Uh, I'm excited as the season's getting on, so follow me there. And uh, yeah, let's 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 chat Arsenal. I have noticed you get throwing a few naughty little tweets out there sporadically, yeah, engaging with the Arsenal chat. So do follow him. As always, I'm at I Johnny Cochran on my socials as well. Um, it'd be nice if you could chuck us a little follow as well. And yeah, let's chat Arsenal. Apart from that. Um, Thank you for listening to the podcast. Do jump on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Um, I'm pretty sure me, myself, and you, Matt, if you are around after the uh, Leeds game for another On The Whistle, uh, we'll all be back for another On The Whistle um, Arsenal Opinion podcast. Apart from that, guys, ciao for now. Ciao for now. Hi, I'm comedian Johnny Cochran. Now, last year, my life was turned upside down when I became a first-time dad. Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking, "Mm, this is a little bit crazy right now. How am I going to get through all of the challenges in front of me? One of the things I thought I'd do was set up a podcast talking to other fathers about their experiences. Fathers like Russell Kane. No no one's man is trying to suggest that what a man does is 1% of the ravages of a female's body being overtaken by its alien host. And Carl Donnelly. This is the admin bit where I'm sort of, you know, obsessing about prams and stuff like that. Oh, you've got to get a good set of wheels. I bought a vintage uh, 1960s Marmet pram. Which is so inconvenient, and it's never. We're only. It, it can't go any further than like the local park. And Doc Brown. We're here is complaining about money and how expensive it is to have kids and whatnot. They're like, well, you shouldn't have had us. <laughs> it's like it's your fault, and it's like, I mean, I turn around and it costs me three hundred quid. <laughs> kids are so expensive. So you can listen to those guys and more in the How's Your Father podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.